You need to be able to jump into somebody else's subjective creative world and swim around in their pool of ideas. But I think then there can be this panic for dancers of like, well, who am I when I'm not in that world? And how how can I have a sense of self and, not but, but and join somebody else inside of their creative world? That's, that's what makes a dancer masterful, the capacity to have both. Welcome to Dance Journal NYC a podcast about dancers, artists, and performers living and working in New York City. I'm Katie Dorn, and today we're talking with dancer, choreographer, and teacher, Stuart Singer. While still a student, Stuart jumped into a professional career with choreographer Bill T. Jones. Like many artists who've come of age within the field, his interest within dance shifted. He's been a dancer, collaborator, choreographer, and teacher and continues to share his wealth of knowledge with those he works with. I didn't start dancing until I was 15. And I was a pretty serious musician when I was a kid. I played the piano and I went to a local performing arts high school that was a charter high school, thinking that I was gonna study music and I quickly kind of found myself in the dance department there, taking dance classes. After that first year of high school, one of my teacher's teachers runs this summer program in New York State called NISA, New York State Summer School for the Arts. So I had the opportunity to go study at this summer program. One of my teachers that summer was Ruth Andrian and they were looking for some extra boys so that they could restage Esplanade and Ruth danced for Paul Taylor. Ruth danced yeah. for Paul Taylor. Um, she was in the original cast of Esplanade. And she was just like a beast. She was an amazing teacher. One of my earliest, most favorite dance memories was learning Esplanade from Ruthie. Like, I still consider that formative experience something that has really framed how I understand my potential as a body and my potential as a mover. What were... What were some of the reasons why you started dancing? When I think about like why I started dancing, it's kind of like a little bit I'm confounded um, about kind of like how it began. When I was really young, like maybe like six, I think I, my mom put me in a dance class, like a jazz class at like a local dance studio in a strip mall. And I liked it, but I quit after a year because I just, um, I think there was like some aspect of it where like maybe I was being teased for like going to dance class by like peers or I felt kind of ashamed of being a boy who went to dance class. So it didn't stick at first. But I think that for me, there was something about falling in love with dancing those first couple years of high school or like that experience with Ruthie where I just think I felt powerful and expressive in my body for the first time. And I had never felt, yeah, like expressive. And then I all of a sudden had this kind of arena in which I could feel both of those things. And I really think that it was that that drew me to dancing. You attended Purchase College. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what your time at Purchase was like? I wasn't at Purchase for that long. I, um, you know, when I was applying to go to college from high school, I was a little bit torn because I, um, I knew that I loved dancing. I knew that like to some degree I wanted to do professionally, but I was concerned about the extreme nature of a conservatory program and what gets excluded from that kind of education. However, for a number of reasons, reasons about dancing, reasons about money, reasons about proximity to New York, I chose to go to purchase. 
I think going to purchase, it was a little bit shocking to to move into what felt like a relatively like classical program. You know, like I'd probably taken like less than a year of ballet in my life. And then I went to purchase and I was taking ballet class one or two times a day, kind of like five to eight times a week. It was, um, it was really intense. Um, but I also kind of like really loved it. I got off on that intensity. I had a couple of classes with Neil Greenberg, who was teaching both improvisation and um, climb technique. He was only up there a couple of days a week, but I, I remember that like his influence was always this like whisper of like, there's more out there, you know, like there's not just, there's not just classical ballet and like large modern dance companies. Yeah. There's more, there's more out there. So I felt this kind of underground camaraderie amongst the students there. I think that was like one of the most defining aspects of my experience at Purchase. You left Purchase after two years to go and dance for Bill T. Jones. Mm which is pretty incredible. <laughs> How did you meet him? And were you able to fulfill your dance major credits by having a full-time dance job? So I met Bill T. Jones in my second year at Purchase. Somewhere I saw a flyer that he was offering a workshop at City Center. So I did this workshop with Bill and they didn't advertise it as such, but I found out that they were holding the workshop to find some extra dancers to perform in a piece called Continuous Replay, which they performed the next month at the first Fall for Dance at City Center. After the workshop, I was approached by Bill's rehearsal director, Janet Wong, um, to see if I wanted to join for those performances. And I said, yes, of course. I was beside my 18-year-old self. Yeah, um, really thrilled. <laughs> yes. I mean, I would hope every 18-year-old dancer would feel that way. <laughs> so I did, I did that show, and then a little later that fall, I got a call from them just to see if I was interested in coming into Apprentice over my winter break at school, which I was, again, beside myself. So I, I did that, and at the end of that period, Bill and Janet asked if I might be interested in essentially just like leaving school to start working with the company. As I remember, it was like both a complicated decision and not a complicated decision. It was a little disorienting, but I, I made the decision to take advantage of the opportunity. So at first, I took a leave of absence, knowing that I didn't know when or how I was going to finish, but not having enough credits to finish a degree. I worked with Bill for like a period of three and a half, almost four years. And at the end of that time, I decided that I wanted to finish my degree. So through a combination of classes at schools here in New York in the CUNY system. And then one semester I went up to purchase to do a couple of courses. I was able to finish my degree a couple of years behind schedule. Talk a little bit about your your move to New York City. So you're out of school, mm. like finding an apartment and what it's like. I was fortunate to have a couple of really close friends who were leaving purchase at the same time. There were four of us and we... We found a four-bedroom apartment together, which I think at the time was like 1600 bucks in prime prospect heights. I remember the move being not such a big deal at first because it was summer break. It didn't really kind of hit me until the fall. I remember having like a generalized anxiety about kind of moving from like the microcosm of school to like the macrocosm of a city and just kind of feeling like I was going to disappear or feeling overwhelmed by how many people there were. But I was also fortunate to be coming to the city with a job, to be coming to the city with like a micro community, like in this in the company that I was spending a lot of a lot of time with them. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have come in with with a community a support system in place. Yeah, yeah. 
So what was that first year like with Bill? It was culture shock. <laughs> it was like a learning curve for sure. I was 19. The person who's closest to my age was maybe 25 or 26. I remember it being scary. I remember just kind of feeling like aware of my youth, <laughs> but it was also exhilarating, you know, like it was also, I don't know, exhilarating to be, to be working full time. I learned a ton working with Bill and there were like moments that were great, moments that were like really difficult. I think that in that company, there is a culture of thriving off of the kind of like real conflict of building a microcosm of personalities. I think I wasn't totally comfortable with that conflict. I think it really it was scary a lot of times. But inside of that discomfort, there was a lot, a lot of learning for me about both just like what it means to work and also about who I was or what my position was inside of the micro community or inside of some of the dialogues or inside of some of those conflicts. It was a fraught kind of first year finding a voice and finding a place inside of that community. And I think that after that first year, it kind of, it got a little easier. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, <clears throat> talk about touring. Totally. Um, Is that, when I mean, I think about myself at 19 and I would have been so excited to be on the road as a professional dancer. Did you feel that way? I did. I mean, at that point, I think I'd only been out of the country once. When I joined Bill's company, we were developing Blind Date, but I also got quickly thrown into an evening-length work that had been made the year before that was touring. So I, I, I remember joining kind of like May 1st, let's say, and then like June 1st, we left for our first tour, which was to the Amalfi Coast of Italy, where I had never been. And it was, it was, it was exhilarating. It was at the Ravella Festival, and they had built this stage that was on stilts over, like on a cliff over the Mediterranean. And we performed kind of like after the sun had just set. And our dressing room was like in a castle, you know, like it was really very magical. And I think my kind of like naive mind, I didn't even really understand like how special <laughs> it was because it was my first experience. And then like, you know, six months later, we're like doing like a three, a three week tour through like Minneapolis and Milwaukee, like in the dead of winter. Hi everyone, it's Katie here. Dance Journal NYC is supported by Gibney Dance, where I'm often taking some of my favorite ballet classes in the city. You can join the Gibney community this spring for exciting opportunities, including teacher training for dancers, educators, and professionals with Axis Dance Company and making dance creative process workshops. Gibney is also offering savings through a spring break special running March 11th through April 8th. To find out more and stay up to date with the latest news, Follow Gibney Dance on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at gibneydance.org slash classes. Thanks for listening, and here's the second half of our show. When or why did you decide to move on from dancing with Bill? I think I started to feel uh, interested in, in doing other kinds of work. So I, I decided to leave the company after three and a half years, I think because I, I was interested in in experiencing a model of working where I wasn't working for just one artist. I was kind of interested in working with my contemporaries, working with people who are closer to my age um, to kind of pursue work as a freelancer. And I think I like learned very quickly that there were like aspects of that decision that I hadn't totally considered, you know, like that I wouldn't have a full-time job anymore. Like I wouldn't have a paycheck anymore. I wouldn't have health insurance anymore. Um, that kind of freelance dance work didn't pay quite as well as like some of this full-time dance company work. So 
um, very quickly I like knew that I needed to get some work that was non-dance work to support myself. Um, kind of learned basic bookkeeping through a few friends of mine and then took on a few bookkeeping clients. And that was how I kind of sustained myself for those first few years of freelancing. So I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your experiences as being a freelance dance artist, because you've worked with so many different choreographers. Mm -hmm. What's a typical day like for you as a freelance dance artist? A lot of three to four to five to six hour rehearsals, sometimes two, sometimes three rehearsals a day. A lot of time spent being your own little business manager, you know, negotiating your own schedules, your your payment. And then also like the jigsaw puzzle pieces of having enough work, having enough time off, having enough money for like self-care, whether that's training or physical therapy or other kinds of therapy. It's a constant balancing act. Working as a freelancer was always exciting because I, I felt that my engagement or my participation in a project felt a little bit more about what I uniquely was bringing to that project and less just because like I was employed by that person. I felt a little bit more power and agency inside of my presence or participation in the making process and an excitement about the learning that happens in moving between different creative processes and, and relationships. I felt like I learned a lot about how stuff gets made. Yeah, it's interesting to see the creative process from so many different choreographers totally. and how it and, differs and, and how it's similar and for you to too. experience my like experiencing myself inside of each of those processes I think really taught me a lot about about myself about kind of like where I'm intolerant about where I'm limited about yeah um what I'm interested in about kind of like my habits or like something that kind of gets really rewarded in one process is really actually like like uh, a material that comes up. And I don't mean like a movement material, but like a material as like some part of myself. Like, for example, inside of the work of John Jaspers, like that material actually like gets excluded inside of the work of Beth Gill, you know? So I feel like I got to practice being a shapeshifter. Yeah. Some of the work that I've done in some of these freelance projects with Beth Gill, with John, with Gwen Welliver, with Joanna Cotta, it's like the relationships with the dancer and the choreographer feel very intimate, feel very kind of like, it could only be me and it could only be you. It couldn't just be anybody. Feel very much about the people in the room. And that's that kind of intimacy is something that I really, I love about the experiences that I've had in the experimental dance world. Do you have any experiences that can be outside of dance that made you feel excited about New York, that this was a place that you wanted to be, that was sort of formative I think the thing that comes to mind is, is housed inside of like the dance world in New York. But I remember taking class in New York and starting to get a sense of the energy inside of the dance community. I mean, I do remember this moment where like <laughs> um, Lindsay Clark, one of my colleagues, friends, and my roommate that first year, she had gotten a job dancing with Shenway where like they just basically didn't get paid at all. Um, for their first two months. And I remember we were like walking down the street one night and she was telling me, I think she was crying. And she was telling me like how much money she needed to pay the rent. My memory of the moment is that like all of a sudden like $20 bills just started blowing down the street. Someone must have like dropped 
a wad of cash like out of their pocket or out of like the like a taxi or like a car window, uh, an apartment window or something. And we started to run and like gather up all the money. And then we had $420 in our hands, which was like exactly how much she needed to pay the rent. This and, really happened. This really happened. This is like not a dream. This is not a dream. <laughs> this is amazing. No, I know it sounds like a dream, but it does. This da- is so New York. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of a New York moment where I, I mean, I guess in one sense we're like thieves, but in another sense, well, maybe there is some kind of like universal like karmic thing going on here. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I want to switch gears here a bit. Um, I was wondering about how you got into teaching. Was that something that you have you were kind of always interested in, even when you were a performer? Yeah. I'd, I'd done a bit of teaching with Bill while I was dancing in the company, and I, but I also got the opportunity to do some teaching at Bard College through a new educational partnership between Bard and Bill T. Jones. But for me, that felt like a pivotal moment just because starting to develop a teaching practice felt like it was speaking to some of the issues I was having with kind of dancing, this way to have like a really kind of tangible interaction with somebody and to, to in intangible ways, perceive that you're kind of like having an effect on, on people in a more direct way. So that kind of was the beginning of what has now been like a almost decade-long teaching practice that feels like it's always existed side by side with like my work as a performer. And they feel, they they feed one another working as a performer and working as a teacher that what I learn in one kind of folds into the other and vice versa. Yeah. Um, what, what do you value or try to convey as a teacher? What do you hope that the, the students take away from your classes and... And I guess, what what do you think defines you as a teacher? For me, I think if if a student can kind of leave a semester feeling more powerful in their bodies, you know, it kind of circles right back to like what was seductive to me about dance and beginning. Yeah, feeling powerful in your body, feeling expressive in your body. You know, I, something that comes up a lot in my teaching, I think a lot of dancers, people who have a, like a lot of dance training before college kind of feel like they are there to be seen and not to be heard. And there's like a discomfort around speaking, speaking their minds, speaking their opinions about a work they've seen, about something that happened in class, about an interaction with a teacher or a classmate. So I think in, in, in my teaching, I feel passionate about there being both like a movement practice and like a, talk, a talking practice. We're going to practice being seen and we're also going to practice being heard. So hopefully even for those who aren't aspiring to dance professionally, there's a takeaway from the kind of like essential experience of moving with other bodies that we can apply towards other endeavors in our lives. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's so easy to think that we're just bodies learning physical movements, but there's so much more too. And even like more essentially kind of like what we're interested in. Yeah. You know, so often <laughs> as a dancer, we're expected to kind of like- Do it. Just take on the interests of the choreographer. And I think that's a really useful skill. Like you need to be able to jump into somebody else's subjective creative world and swim around in their pool of ideas. But I think then there can be this panic for dancers of like, well, who am I when I'm not in that world? And how how can I have a sense of self and not but, but and join somebody else inside of their creative world? That's that's what makes a dancer masterful, the capacity to have both. So my last question, which I ask everyone, what's your favorite thing about being a dancer in New York City? I'm not dancing as much right now. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of taking a year off from working as a performer in dance projects. 
in this year away from working as a dancer, I'm really experiencing what I'm missing. And I think that what I'm missing the most and therefore maybe like what I love the most about being a dancer is um, kind of the social piece, the intimacy of the relationships that get built inside of dance making. When I think about creative process in dance, we're working in a studio, which is often an empty room with just ourselves and our bodies and other people. And in that very bare, you know, we, we kind of like bear it all in the experience of working together, the incredible community of artists and thinkers and the intimacy of the relationships that I get to have with those artists is my favorite thing about being a dancer in New York. Thanks so much for listening. If you're interested in hearing more, please subscribe to Dance Journal NYC on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website, dancejournal.org. You can find some fun photos on our Instagram account, Dance Journal NYC, and of course, on our website. Our theme music, soundscapes, and audio production are by Jesse Anders. Special thanks to Eben Hoffer for technical support. Dance Journal NYC is produced by me, Katie Dorn. If you or any of your friends have any dance stories you'd like to share, please email me at katie at dancejournal.org.